Fan Morning Show on a Friday morning. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Looking to turn the vibes around a little bit here as we wrap up the show. If you're a Leafs fan, you're looking for some way to find some positivity this morning. That's always us, though. We try our best. We've got a great guest lined up. We've got two great guests in the final hour here. Started off with our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Jason Buchla, former director of amateur scouting for the Panthers and current Sportsnet analyst. Do they say Books when they talk to you? Is that like your nickname, like your hockey nickname, Books? That's that is the nickname. Yeah, That's I haven't good. been called Jason in like I don't know. Well, I'm old, so it feels like centuries. <laughs> I mean, Books is Books is definitely a good like a last name for hockey. I mean, some people you don't even realize they have a first name anymore. Like you're like like when we talk to Nick Caprios, I'm like, there's no way Nick calls you Nick. Like Nick Nicholas. Like it's just it doesn't fit. So Books, it's Books. Books, it is. Hey, you know, I appreciate it. I'm going to bore you guys real quick. Like, Please. in the scouting in the scouting community, when you start scouting players, and you know, you always refer to them by their last name, so McCabe or Tavares mm-hmm. or whatever it is. You'll get on the tour, and and you'll be looking at an 18 year old you haven't seen in a month, but you remember his last name. You go to write down his first name. You're like, what the hell's that? His first name. the first name is. You know. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um. All right. So you've seen this Panthers team a lot. Um. You former director of amateur scouting there for down the stretch. Um. So you know a little bit about the construction of this team. It feels like they're kind of like well designed to be playoff squad like whether it's their mentality their roster makeup maybe it's just because they've been you know playing the the last five games with a lot of oomph but uh, is there a way that this team is made up that just seems to fit come big pressure moments well full transparency i mean we uh when when myself and my staff when bill zito took over for dale talent at that time um he he moved some pieces out obviously last summer was the big one mm-hmm. with huberto and Uyghur going out and to chuck coming in um but like any general manager, they want to put their own stamp on the organization, and he's done a really nice job. I mean, you know, his staff that are still there, some of them, you know, Caver, Brian McCabe, is, you know, Roberto Luongo, et cetera. Um, they've done a nice job. What they've done is they've – it's it's interesting. They really are the, they're the same style of team that we had when I was there in terms of they play with their hair on fire. They're, you know, they're a quick strike type of a, a group. Uh, they take advantage of their opportunities, wait out turnovers, uh, and they're a little bit of a tire fire in their own zone. Let's be honest. I mean, they're not, uh, they're not exactly the most detailed group uh, defensively. Um, what I like about them is that they're relentless. Um, they don't go away. Um, you know, last year when they won the president's trophy, they, they had the most uh, comebacks, uh, third period comebacks and two goal comebacks in all the national hockey league. Um, they have that mentality that, uh, you know, no, no, no lead is uh, too big to overcome um, from the opponents, and uh, and they keep coming at you in waves. Um, but I, I have to be honest, I, I didn't feel, and I'm interested to hear what you guys, I haven't listened to the show this morning, but I didn't feel like Toronto had a bad hockey game last night. I thought they had a mm. few bad moments, yep. but I didn't feel like they had a bad hockey game. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, this is kind of, it felt, it, I will say, though, it felt more like a regular season hockey game for the Toronto Maple Leafs where, uh, you know, they, they sort of just believe that they're the better team and they have reason to believe that they're the better team. And if they just stick with it, the the chances and the goals will come. And I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's we're, we've been debating it because, you know, flipping the switch, being different, winning a series in different ways, being able to 
win a game when you're not the best team. Like these are all these things that they were trying to acquire over time. They do that to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then it looks like a regular season game. And part of it's like the opponent, part of it's the mindset. And it feels like so far through two games that it's added up to, hey, this isn't the different team. This isn't the different style of play. This is the regular season Leafs trying to overmatch a Florida Panthers team that they probably think they're better than that, better than, and probably should think they're better than. But in order to beat them, it might require the Tampa style or the style used to get through Tampa. Yeah, I so I, I think you're onto something here, Justin. I I broke down the game last night, uh, you know, broke down the tape and, and took a look at some of the successes. And I might bore you guys a little bit here with some scout speak of what I what I really noticed. Like obviously off the hop, they started on time. We all know that two goal lead in the first five minutes. You know, you think you can bury the road team if you get three, you're probably you know game over. Even though there's a lot of runway left in the game, but if you look real closely, if people want to watch the highlights. On the first goal, Riley pinches down on the half wall, extends the play, sorry, kind of cycles down in behind the net. He stays down low. They end up net front with camp. And when the puck moves to the front of the net, Kerr puts like the second layer at the crease, and he counters with uh, obviously a goal, a, a tuck from just outside the crease. So what you had was two guys net front. You had a second layer net front. Shortly thereafter, you know, there's a, this little bit of a yard sale. Ekblad tries this hand pass from, you know, it's bouncing off all kinds of people. But if you look at it, again, three blue shirts within, like, you know, uh, a basketball key of the front of the net. And then on the O'Reilly power play goal, uh, Matthews and Tavares, again, distraction out front. Two guys out front. It opens up the backdoor seam for, uh, for Marner to go to O'Reilly. But the trend here is that they had secondary layers out front the net. Hard area play, right? In the back half of the game, I felt like Bob Rosky was seeing more pucks and there wasn't as much of a second layer out front the net. So those are like little things like that, that that stand out to me because it makes a big difference in the trenches. It's not that they weren't trying to get to the trenches. They just weren't as effective as the game went on. But to your point, simplicity would have been way better, wouldn't it? Like there's some guys, like people are talking about how fast Florida is, and it's not that they're not a, a quick team. But they're not a fast five-man unit. Like, they roll out guys like the, the Stahl brothers, for example, or Gudis, um, you know, guys that aren't burners. So they're four, uh, four out of five can play with pace. There's always an outlier in the group. So if you're going to be like that, or if you're going to be uh, uh, scaling up against a team like that, keep the puck to the outside, uh, work it with the full width of the ice, get it behind their defense, and keep it a little bit more simple. I feel like that's my conclusion, kind of where you're leaning. At the end of the day, I felt like they played into Florida's um, strategy a bit, like that hair-on-fire type of strategy, where it's less would have been more, and they would have got better results. Yeah, it feels like they were reduced to individuality once they were hit with the counterpunch, right? Like, it was the perfect period in the first until it wasn't. They were kind of lucky that they were actually up a goal. They have the 66 seconds from hell, and then they don't know how to react to that adversity. And their natural instinct, I think, was, hey, individuality, let's lean on our skill. Nylander's got to do it himself. Tavares got to do it himself. Matthews and Marner, maybe they'll can do it together, but maybe they'll just do it themselves. It seemed like they got away from what they were doing in the first period, which was just, you know, that heavy Tampa Bay style bodies in front shift over shift winning, winning hockey. And it feels like they got back to what has been a common criticism of them where it's just like, Hey, there's no connectivity here. It's just superstars trying to be superstars. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I mean, the, the, the second goal, 
the second goal in the in the second period by Florida. I mean, Marner could have chipped it to the wall and escaped to himself. You know, he tries small area pass, and then it's a zone exit by Matthews trying to chip it by a defender. Um, it just doesn't work in playoffs. So not only against this team, but if you if you're lucky enough to get to the next round. Uh, it just doesn't work in playoffs. That's <laughs> those plays don't work. Like it, it just it's frustrating, right? It, it drives you crazy, especially at this level. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out is that on the first goal that Florida scored, um, it's a small thing, but like Lilligren's got to keep the puck in the corner, guys. Like when you try to cycle it down low, so he had a one-on-one battle in the corner, no no problem, right? Even if you keep it in your feet, but when you try to cycle it down low to Tavares, who ends up blowing a tire. That's a, you're, you're moving the puck to a dangerous area of the ice, and then obviously it ended up in the back of their net. So I don't know. Some guys under pressure um, when you're fatigued at the end of a shift uh, at the highest level of sport, uh, breakdowns occur. And um, the Leafs, uh, they were mental midgets on, on three plays at least that cost them the game. Um, but having said that, here's what's more the most frustrating part about it. Again, I keep coming back to it. They didn't play a bad hockey. Like they, they outchanced their opponent. Their goaltender on the other side was was better than than Toronto's. Like the the Barkov goal, I don't care if it's a knuckle puck. I've broken it that thing down as well. You have to make that save. Mm-hmm. Like that, just inside the post, that was a terrible goal. You can't you can't cut it any other way. Okay, um, I know you're talking about uh, Panther style of play, like their fast forecheck. I want to I want to stop that down a, a little bit more and ask like what the Leafs can do to deal with it. I know you mentioned the little grin play behind the net with the reverse, and I think you're spot on with that, but it just feels like it's suffocating. The Leafs are struggling to get out, then they're tired, and then when they have an offensive opportunity, it's and yet, a wash. And yet, Luke Shen, supposed to be the guy who can't move mm-hmm. the puck, is the one dealing most effectively with the forecheck. Yeah, no, that's interesting, right? So the, the interesting thing about Shen is he he's a guy that can read the play coming up He's going to take away time and space in his comfort zone. So that might be a gap up immediately on the on his blue line. It might be like within, you know, right around the faceoff dot or just below that. Otherwise, if he tracks the play properly from the middle of the ice and it's moving to the perimeter, he's going to kill it way before the hash mark. Like he's proficient at that. He's a veteran, a veteran player. Some of these other guys, um, let's go to zone exits. Let's go to zone exits. You already know that Florida is pinching down every opportunity. So if you move the puck from the strong side to the weak side and it's just a, you're shooting around the rim and you're hoping that your winger on the other side is going to get to the puck, it's not happening because your winger has to travel too far to get it. Florida's pinching down. They're keeping pucks alive. So what do you have to do? You're going to have to take a step and you're going to have to have the angle outs. And what I mean by that is that Pucks have got to start to come off the boards in angles and spill into space instead of just going right around the boards for an easy pinch. But as far as them off the rush, they have to find a way to get more back pressure and guide the Panthers to a side of the ice and gap up appropriately. So suffocate them somewhere, and then hopefully they just chip it down and you get a read on the weak side by that. What I So if, if it's a little bit on the ice and it's Giordano, there's Giordano and Achari and somebody else angle the play to the, the Giordano side, and all that Florida has left is a dumping. Lilligren's got to be on his horse and get to that puck behind his net area, not in the far corner before a Florida forechecker comes on the other side. So it's on the margins. It sounds simple enough, but you have to have the game plan and you have to have the mindset. I think they're capable of doing it. I think they can make the adjustments to get it done. But under duress and when you're you're flying around out there, you know, your mental capacity to make sure you get it done, that's the challenge.
So you talk about how Florida might be exploiting a little bit of a slower back end for the Toronto Maple Leafs or one that, you know, under pressure isn't performing as well. And I think Giordano and um, Lilgren were kind of examples of that. We talked about this at the top of the show about, you know, is there a move where Hall or Gustafson gets in to switch things up back there a little bit more, I don't know, speed, fresh legs? Like, do you think that that's the next move um, come Sunday that you see a little bit of alteration in the back end? Yeah, it's it's going to be a tough one. I think it's going to depend on uh, on Nyes. Um, mm-hmm. I you know, and I don't know what's going on there. It's it's a little bit alarming to me that it seemed like uh, his absence after he left the game. It was uh, they had a real nice game plan. They had a nice setup up front, and when he left, that was a big deal. So I'm torn by the by by what you do on the back end, only because I think you have to keep the pace up up front, and if you get if you slow down up front it's going to take away with some of this other or some of these other things that I'm looking for, you know, that, that extra uh, jump to the net and stuff like that. So, Oh, I don't know guys. Like uh, I, I, part of me wants Gustafson. Um, I, I'm not sure that Lilligren is ready. Uh, I, I hate to say it that way because he should be ready, but um, I didn't, I didn't see him play. He played sheltered minutes last night and I just didn't trust his game enough. So I would, I'd be looking at a change on the back end. I'd be looking at everything, but I, I see where you're going with it. it. My gut right now says yes. Yeah, it might have to be if pending Nyes' availability seven because uh, it just feels like you don't get enough utility from the six guys and that you might need the seventh option just to have another skill back there to help you get through the game uh, because, you know, Florida does have its challenges, obviously, but... The Leafs have their challenges defensively, and we're trying to figure out, you know, do they have three or four guys you can even rely on at this point because it has not gone well through the course of eight games, really, uh, in these playoffs. Uh, This summer, when the Maple Leafs make changes, add free agents, maybe make a trade, we're going to be referencing almost exclusively regular season numbers. And I think this is a thing that I've been thinking about more and more in these these eight games. And when we're talking about uh, the Maple Leafs playoff performance is that... You know, playoff performances need to be weighted more. They need to be more in our evaluation of players because things change so much. I mean, people are ready to kick Morgan Riley out the door, and if they didn't have him in these playoffs, well, they're not playing right now. They're not getting through the Tampa Bay Lightning without Morgan Riley. And again, people may or may not have wanted him traded out of this roster in order to try and maximize it. So I guess the question is to you, being in someone who's been in the front office for a long time, like how much are we weighing playoff performance and should it be weighed way more heavily when we actually talk about the evaluation of players or is that already happening? And that's something that fans and the media are missing a little bit more. I think it is happening. Um, there's a lot of moving parts and uh, here's my take on it. If you are a hundred point team or you're already a group that um, looks to be um, a group that should be a playoff team, no matter what. And I know it's a hard league and I know it's hard to get in, but let's the Toronto Maple Leafs, minus one or two players and adding a little bit uh, of a different look in their lineup, even going forward, they're still going to be a playoff team. Like the core is good. They got good players, but they have some outliers in the group that continue to frustrate the living. You know what out of me? And um, that uh, is something that has to be addressed. Uh, They might still go on a deep playoff run this year and things still might come back, you know, in the series, but um, we shouldn't still be having the same conversation about Willie Melander today that we had a year ago in the Tampa series. Like in game one, when he, when he won that, uh, he, he tracked up, took that one puck from down low in the offensive zone and then looked like he was going to skate it back into his own zone instead of going to the net with it. Like those are conversations we should still be having. And then we have to ask ourselves, why is that still happening? You know, like, is it just something you're not, 
you're not at this time of year willing to go that extra mile for the team and it's an outlier it hurts us though as a group that's the bottom line so you start to look at uh, it's like having a sports car in your in your driveway and you say to yourself you know like geez i can only drive it six months of the year in, in canada because of the snow do i really need that sports car still and you know maybe i'm better off with a jeep and so um i think you have to take a long hard look at things like that teams do justin the salary cap factors into it. Uh, and then, you know, you can't always be in love with your players. That's the bottom line. Don't fall too much in love with your players. You know, keep moving forward. I think that some reconstruction is healthy uh, year in and year out. And Florida is a great example of it by the trajectory. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the irony here is Florida just made that decision and it, it involved a little pain, right? It involved a dip in regular season performance, of course. Matthew Kachuk was awesome. He might get a Hart Trophy nomination. He was great. Uh, but the Panthers were 30 points worse in the regular season after making that change. Uh, but, you know, it looks like it uh, it could go down as an all-timer. Uh, do you see it that way, this Kachuk for Huberto swap? I know Mackenzie Weger involved as well. But with the way Kachuk has played, is playing now, are we talking about, like, one of the great trades in recent history here in the NHL? Well, it's pretty hard to uh, to argue that. I mean, the, the culture of Florida's, uh, uh, the identity of Florida up front um, definitely changed. And um, and so I'm going to go with yes. I mean, it is. I'm, you know, I thought it was a great hockey trade for, uh, for both teams at the time. Um, I thought that Florida gave up uh, way too much at the time as well. And so fast forward to today, um, that's part of the debate back then, you know, when you make a deal like that. But, well, I mean, to Chuck, he's taken over. Barkov's the captain, but Barkov's a real cerebral guy. Like, he's not a loud guy. He's, he's off the ice. He's not a loud guy. He's a lead by example. But now to Chuck's like, a, he's the bulldog, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think to Chuck can ever wear your C because he's, uh, you know, a little bit over the edge sometimes, and that can be too much of a distraction. But what a great, what a great running mate as an A. And uh, – Great trade. Um, you know, kudos to Bill Zito and the group for making that deal. It took a lot of kahoolies to get it done. <laughs> I love the I love the way that they play. They play as a group, and they're not the most talented. They look like they have talent, uh, you know, at times, and they do, but they're not the most talented. They got a lot of grunt and, and desire there right now. It's funny. You had a Matthew Kachuk, and now you have, like, a bunch of Matthew Kachuks, like Sam Bennett's, like, an absolute terror. Oh. Nick Cousins, <laughs> like, uh, he's suddenly a guy that you don't really want to play with. I mean, John Tavares here heard uh, the footsteps behind him at the end of the second period there. Uh, it seems like it's had a major, major influence beyond just the one player that they brought in. But I do want to ask you, you mentioned uh, Sasha Barkov. You know, it's not, like, so obvious how he influences the series. We all know he's a great player. We all know he's a superstar. We all know he's an understated superstar. But I wonder what you're seeing, because you know this player so well, how Sasha Barkov has influenced this series and this playoff run so much for the Florida Panthers. Well, you know, we start to talk about, um, you know, the Matthews chip to the middle of the ice or, you know, those small area decisions. Um, if somebody wants to watch Barkov very closely, he's a guy that has uh, just uh, it's hard to understate how smart this guy is so his hockey sense in all three zones he's above the play when they don't have the puck he's all the way below the goal line in the defensive zone he's not cheating uh, zone exits anywhere on the ice he can be uh, a difference maker off the rush uh, take key face off kills penalties. like he does absolutely everything and um, and he does it. He just quietly goes about his business. You know, he, he's not ever going to be a 115 point guy, 120 point guy, but he could be like, he could be, 
you know, like a Leon Dreisaitl type of a, a player that uh, ends up being, you know, plus five but scores 125 points. Barkey's going to be a guy that's going to be plus 25 and scores 90 points. So then in the in the boardroom, you ask yourself, which one do I want more? They're both great players. So Dreisaitl, I'll take him all day long too, so don't, don't, don't get me wrong. But um, what I'm saying to you is that's the way he plays. He's responsible. He quietly goes about his business, but I'll tell you something. If they don't have Barkov, as much as they, it's a Chuck is the guy that you notice all the time right now, if you don't have Barky, they don't win a series because he's that important to the group. All right, Books, appreciate you joining us this morning, breaking <laughs> it down. Uh, hopefully we got lots more Leaf games down the road to, to fill in and, and get your context on. I appreciate it. Uh, of course, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me on. You as well. That's uh Jason Bukula. Books. Books, former director of amateur scouting of the Florida Panthers and current sports set analyst and our insider. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. He's got to get on Kipper and Borden so you can have Books, Sammy, and Kipper. And you might have to do, like, the lead into it. And, like, Justin Bourne can be, like, Justin or Borny or JB. Borny is different than Books. Yeah, Borny is, like, goofier. <laughs> Yeah. Books. <laughs> That's pretty goofy, too. That was pretty good. Um, all right. We're just feeling double generous this morning, right? Just like two times the I generosity. Didn't, I didn't realize we were doing this twice. Yes. We love our fans, and we love Fridays, and we love making you feel good, especially after Leafs loss. So, <clears throat> as mentioned earlier in the show, Aerosmith is coming to Scotiabank Arena on September 12th, and we're giving away t- tickets all week long. And now it's your final last chance to win. Our code word is still Seasons of Weather. Text Seasons of Weather to 59590 to enter. Tickets go on sale shortly after our show ends at 10 a.m. on Ticketmaster.ca. So if you don't win this set of tickets, head down to Ticketmaster.ca and grab them at 10 a.m. Eastern. Seasons of Weather, September 12th, Aerosmith. Double the fun this morning. Love it. Love it. Books. <laughs> okay. Uh, next we have, I don't know if we have no, a good it's one for a next McHugh. one. It doesn't. Yeah, Liam McHugh. Maybe it's Kiwi. Kiwi's not bad. Kiwi. Kiwi's not bad. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have to ask him what his nickname is. But after the break, Liam McHugh, host of the NHL on TNT panel. Our final block of the week is next. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All righty. We are back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, Ailish Forfar, the Maple Leafs are trailing their second round series 2 nothing to the Florida Panthers. A haven't tough won, night haven't won a second round game. In how many years now? Well, I guess 19 still, right? Brutal. So it all comes back to 19. <laughs> uh, yeah, tough night at Scotiabank Arena. Not a terrible performance, but not potentially not a winning enough. performance. Not Definitely not a winning performance if you don't win the game. Uh, to talk about that more, we have the host of the NHL on TNT panel. That is Liam McHugh. Welcome back to the show, Liam. Hey, good morning. How's everything going? Outside of the fact that it's obviously not going that well. Yeah, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. I mean, we're talking about something that hasn't been guaranteed to us for a long time. So, uh, you know, we're uh, taking it with the good and the bad. And I wonder, though, how your buddy Paul Bissonette is dealing with it. Because, you know, no one's wearing the Maple Leaf jersey with more pride than him nowadays. So, like, is he he doing all right after uh, two consecutive losses? 
Yeah, uh, we'll find out. Uh, I think this weekend he is struggling right now. Uh, he's riding that roller coaster. You know, first five minutes of that game, very, very excited. They're back. This is Maple Leafs hockey. Here we go. And then, boom, just plummeting right back to earth. So, I don't know. This is, uh, this is a big test for him. I'm a little worried about him, a little concerned. I think instead of uh, the normal chair at the panel, he's – we're, we're getting a couch so he can just lay down. He can put his head on a pillow. He can tell us about his thoughts, his feelings, and we'll try to talk him through it. It's going to be part show, part therapy session going forward. Oh, I think you got something there. Therapy with Biz sounds like a banger of a segment for the NHL on TNT. Um, okay, so I don't know if you guys picked Florida. I don't know if you thought the Leafs were going to be able to tidy this up pretty quickly, but I think everyone in the hockey world kind of underestimated to at least a certain extent what the Florida Panthers were capable of. So was this like a giant misread? Did we underestimate what they were all about? Did we you know, read way too much into losing 30 points from season to season, at least when it comes to the regular season action? Like, What have we got the most wrong, I guess, about the Florida Panthers? Or were you kind of thinking they were a dangerous team all along? No, I mean, I, I certainly didn't expect them to be Boston. So, I mean, uh, and anyone I think who told you that they would is is probably lying. You should check the tapes immediately. Uh, I I think though that this team is, while not as strong during the regular season as the one that won the President's Trophy last year, probably a little bit more built for playoff hockey. They are physical. They're in your face. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, their star player, leads that charge. Uh, you know, they know their identity. They play to it. And then they have, you know, this certain amount of goalie mystery and intrigue, right? Where it's like Alex Lyon starts. And I was telling people, you know, like uh, a month and a half ago, when Alex Lyon first came up, you know, back into view, there were people on my panel who were like, so uh, Liam, before we go on, is it Leon? Is it Leon? Like, and listen, generally speaking, not a great thing if you're a professional athlete around the age of 30 and the panelists don't know how to pronounce your name at this point. So, <laughs> It's a remarkable story that he drags them in, but now they have an all-world goalie who hasn't played that way in years all of a sudden looking like that in Sergei Bobrovsky. So we underestimated that factor. Uh, I think I'm so shocked the fact that they they beat the Boston Bruins when they were down 3-1 in that series. Uh, I don't know, but now they are full of confidence. They have zero pressure. And I think, as you guys know, in Maple Leafs land, that's a huge factor here. Mm -hmm. When you are playing with house money the entire time and the other team is feeling an absurd amount of pressure, uh, it changes the dynamic. But no, I, I certainly didn't expect what we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, a vintage Bobrovsky, an X factor that maybe we hadn't counted on. A Florida Panthers team that scratched their way through uh, into the playoffs, rolled over the Boston Bruins, and now are facing uh, the second best team, as they put it, in the NHL. And we woke up this morning, and they are sometimes, on some books, cup favorites this morning, the Florida Panthers. So yeah. the, it's been a crazy turn of events for them, and I think you're right about the confidence level, the rolling aspect of a team that has no pressure. Um, I wonder if you look at and not to do, uh, I guess, like sympathy or, or finding uh, moments of uh, optimism from losses, but the Maple Leafs fans are trying to find some this morning, I believe, mm -hmm. like some positives to find a way through it. Um, I, I believe that they, they played better than the Florida Panthers for most of these periods. So if you're looking at Sunday, a game, a game approach that the Maple Leafs might take, something to glean from the last two losses, where does that start for you? Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at the fact that we you needed vintage Sergei Bobrovsky to win these games. I mean, these weren't shots from the perimeter, which I think, you know, you've heard the complaints about William Nylander. Oh, he needs to get closer to the goal. He needs to, you know, go into the dirty areas. 
These were shots like right on the doorstep. Um, I mean, John Tavares can be seeing Sergei Bobrovsky in his sleep because, you know, he was right in front of the net a number of times. I think he's had like 10 high danger chances in the series already and hasn't scored. You want that. You want the high danger chances. And they're getting them, and their star players are creating them. So their star players, you would have to expect at some point to finish those off. Got off to a great start. You got the goals early. You were rolling. Uh, This is a Florida defense that you can score on. It's the worst defensive team to make it into the postseason. So if Sergei Bobrovsky is just average, if he is just human, you're going to score goals if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think the other positive to take away is we are now with Toronto eight games into their postseason, and they have not played a full 60 minutes for eight games. Mm -hmm. And they made it through the first round, could have won one of two here. If they can start playing full 60 minutes of hockey or at least close to it, they should come back and win this series. They are the better team here. So I think there are some positives, but, I mean, I understand it's in Toronto. It's a tough sell. Yeah, I mean, there are things to cling to, right? Like, I mean, they do, They have, I guess, dominated this series to a certain extent. Uh, if you look at the five-on-five run and play, you can you can make that argument. They have been the better team, and they haven't been able to show necessarily, at least in the Tampa series, that they were the better team. But it didn't really matter because they won that series. So it's on them to sort of change the narrative here. But a lot of things they can build on. It's just making sure that you are doing the small things to make sure that your progress isn't undone by the mistakes uh, that you're making. So So we mentioned the regular season for the Florida Panthers taking a massive step back, but I think the big deal and one of the biggest trades we've seen in NHL history or recent history, bringing Matthew Kachuk in was for the playoffs in mind 100%. Uh, It was sort of a identity-changing move, sending Jonathan Huberto out and bringing in a guy like Matthew Kachuk. And it seems like he's spawned many Matthew Kachuks along the way, like Sam Bennett and Nick Cousins are like almost extensions of him out there, and it makes for a really dangerous uh, top line or second line, if you want to call it that, behind Sasha Barkov. So when you're watching the playoffs, you're watching all these games, where does Kachuk rank in terms of like major, major difference rank uh, makers league-wide here in the Stanley Cup playoffs? I think he's number one. I really do. And I, I understand how good Leon Dreisaitl has been for the Edmonton Oilers. But I look at all the different things that Matthew Kachuk brings to the table uh, on and off the ice, too. I mean, it's, it's this leadership. It's this positivity. Uh, you know, it's the sandpaper game where he's right in people's faces constantly. And, you know, if you believe his brother, uh, this seems to all be calculated, right? And he mentioned it after last night's game. He's like, we're not just running around like animals. Like, it, it, there's a plan to this. And, and if there's a method to this whole madness with Matthew Kachuk, then maybe he is the smartest player in, in the NHL because he is constantly sitting there getting under your skin, bothering you after every single whistle. And you have to, if you don't want to take a penalty, you have to sit there and basically just take it from him and hope that he gets one, uh, which is a frustrating way to live your life. Then on the other side, he can score goals. He can make plays. He's putting up points. He's getting assists. And I wouldn't say that he's the <clears throat> the best skater in the world or the prettiest passer in the world, but he's just in the middle of everything. And because he's in the middle of everything, he has an opportunity to pick up those points. So I, I don't know. I, I think right now he is having the biggest influence of anyone in this postseason. And uh, I got to tell you, I didn't see it coming. Uh, a Florida team that sets franchise records for points, wins the president's trophy, uh, and then trades their all-time single-season leading scorer, Trades a great team, man. Gets rid of a coach that was a finalist for coach of the year, mind you, last year, and just revamps everything. 
you expect a step back, and maybe there was one during the regular season, but, man, they, they look good. They look built for this right now. And uh, they don't give Tom Smites away yet, but if they did, they'd be giving it to Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, it looks like a little stroke of genius, whether it looked chaotic or not. It's working. Um, think anyone's waking up more of an enemy of the state this morning here in Toronto than Sam Bennett? No, <clears throat> not at all. And <laughs> I think that's, and I think Sam Bennett's probably sitting there smiling about it right now because yep. this is like he, like he really is this like agent of chaos. He, he's that guy who just wants to be in the middle of everything. Uh, and I would say, I, I also look at Sam Bennett as like always the potential to, you know, play along the line and then not remember where the line is and cross over it pretty badly. Cause I think he's right there all the time. And we've seen that. And I think, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of folks up in Toronto right now who are very, very upset about what that, what happened with Matthew Nyes. And you can look at it and say like, yeah, there's finishing a check and then they're slamming a guy to the ice at the very end of it. Uh, at the very least, it feels like that's a roughing penalty. Cross checks to the head, you know, probably a really bad idea in a playoff game. Don't want to do that. And I know you could say, oh, I was trying to ride up his shoulder. And uh, But when you start adding them all up, right, I mean, he's he has earned that reputation as that public enemy number one. And you got to start – I don't think there's going to be supplemental discipline for this guy, but he is on that borderline. So if I'm Paul Maurice, I love it because it hasn't led to supplemental discipline and it hasn't cost us a game. But I'm also just a little bit nervous about it because if he's played to this point and he hasn't gotten it, is he going to back off or is he going to keep going on it? Uh, but I think that's the line you straddle with him. Uh, you kind of take the good with the bad there. And right now he's gone as far as you can. And it's obviously been really, really effective. Yeah, that's the thing with the accumulation, though. There's a cumulative toll, and maybe the Leafs felt that a little bit. I mean, they might be without Matthew Nyes, and Michael Bunting might be hurting this morning, but, like, there's no accumulative suspension, right? Like, he's probably going to get away with, you know, two pretty greasy, dirty plays that only really resulted in two minutes in the penalty box, and I guess that's a bit of the frustrating thing and probably why Sam Bennett's uh, not too uh, uh, bothered this morning. Um there's a whipping boy for everyone in their own mind in Toronto. Like Michael Bunting's been a, you know, a favorite. Uh, Justin Hall's drawn the ire of many. Uh, William Nylander's always in that discussion. Mm-hmm. You're sitting beside a big Leaf fan and Paul Bissonnette, and you guys are clearly watching the game with a lot of intent. Who's inducing groans on this Leaf team while you guys are watching? <laughs> I think there was a little bit of William Nylander. Uh, and, but I would also say, like, there were moments last night where William Nylander looked spectacular. Uh, and I know at the end, you're going to look at the box score and, you know, in years from now, if like they don't win the series, fans are going to look back and be like, wow, like how many goals, how many points? Uh, he was dangerous last night, really dangerous. Uh, and it feels like if he keeps playing this way, uh, he should be in good shape. Um, you know, otherwise than that, I don't know. I mean, I would have said different players earlier on. I would have said, you know, I would have gone back to probably the D-men and some turnovers. But then last night, uh, you have star players being loose with the puck. So uh, I would say for me right now, it was Nylander. It will be Nylander at the end. I guess if he doesn't score, he doesn't put up goals or, or points by the end of the series, and they bow out. Uh, but I did like the way his game was trending last night. Uh, otherwise than that, I mean, I, I gotta tell you, I, I think it's more of like a collective effort right here. And I, you know, I will say this also, I listened to Sheldon Keefe's press conference last night. 
and he used the word baffling and confusing. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know if I if I misheard it, but it sounded like he, did he say this hadn't happened before, and that was why it was baffling because that's what it sounded like to me. And I go back to the first round and I'm like, they were sloppy with the puck in the first round. Mm. I, I don't. What do you mean? Like it didn't happen before? I was. <laughs> I found that comment to be kind of baffling. Like you know, I know you gotta have a short memory and you move on. But to me, it's it's not a team that's been crisp. It's a team that has been crisp for moments. Mm-hmm. And in that Tampa series, it was third periods and beyond where they had to catch up. Last night, it was the first five minutes of the game where they looked like they were going to run the Florida Panthers out of the building. What they are not is consistently crisp. They have major lapses in their games. And so right now, I mean, part of it has to be on the leadership of this team. And I think that's coach and that's the core four players. And they got to get this team focused. I mean, they look like they could beat anyone if they can play 60 minutes, but maybe not. Joe Pavelski, who has just turned back the clock, 38 years old. He scored four goals the first night. He's got another one last night after coming back from injury. Uh, what are you seeing with the way that he's been able to, I mean, didn't get the win the first time around, but put that team on his back and, and his return? It's it's really incredible. And it's sort of like every athlete's dream where, you know, you, you turn 37 last year and you have uh, the most productive season of your career points-wise, even though you've been a great player. Uh, and then at 38, you have like the second or third most productive. And then you go to the playoffs and you have a four goal game. And when I ask people like, Oh, well, it's great because you know, Joe was really never that fast. And his game isn't built about being that fast. He's not that big. His game isn't built about being that big. It's just being the right place at the right time, having great hand eye coordination and just being a smart player. And for like most athletes, they're at home. They're like, Oh, like, why didn't I think of that? Like I turned 35 and my game just fell apart because your athleticism just dips. Uh, Joe is so effective, but I also love the fact that, you know, and you've seen the video and we show it to people down here. Like this is no accident. Also, he is on the rink every single morning, redirecting pucks. It's the same drill. It's, I'm sure at this point, second nature, it's got to be a little bit boring for him. And it's a great teaching moment for young athletes where it's like, this guy's 38. He's been doing this forever. He's scored a ton of goals, but it's every single day going to work, making sure that his skill set is right there where he needs it to be for the game. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, he can't get bored with consistency. And, and I think that's Joe Pavelski right now. And uh, I'm happy for him, especially given what happened in the first round where he was out 15 days with a concussion uh, for him to return and do this. Uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. And I, I will say this, like what he did the other night on the, what essentially was the like skating bunt goal. Uh, it's like, it's one of those things that like, you know, like kids are going to throw the rollerblades on in the driveway and like try to do this mm. like the next few weeks and fail spectacularly <laughs> because it's extremely difficult to do. Uh, but I don't know, he, he's kind of at this point, I think for anyone who's like, you know, middle-aged or approaching middle-aged, uh, it, it's been a, a joy to watch. Yeah, I'm cheering for him. He's older than me. I mean, keep doing what you're doing. Joe Pavelski, make me feel like I'm young. And yeah, you 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 nailed it. I mean, he does it every morning, but he scores with it every night. It's like, yeah, you can kind of see why, you know, hard work pays off. Great lesson uh, for everyone. Uh, Liam, we've been joining the panels. You guys are doing a phenomenal job. Keep up the great work, and uh, hopefully we can chat again before the Stanley Cup is awarded. All right, sounds great. Appreciate it. That's Liam McHugh, host of the NHL on TNT panel. And probably QZ. QZ, oh yeah, we didn't ask him.
33 to 1, by the way, Pavelski to win the Conn Smythe. I uh, think that's worth it. I think so. Even the storyline as well. Like, you know, yeah, that I mean, will be this, part it of is it. a narrative thing. Yes. And who doesn't want to shower praise on a guy who could go to a Hall of Fame, work so hard in practice? Mm-hmm. It's a nice little story to write. To us all. A nice story to write. And NHL or hockey writers, that that is, they love a nice story to tell. Okay, let's wrap up our Friday with a Wake and Rake featuring the Kentucky Derby. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. Okay, simply put, we're either fading the Panthers altogether or putting together a Panthers-esque parlay with... A, a Panther horse parlay? Vincent Viola. Vinny. Vinny Viola and his it's a horse. great handle. I'll give him that. Forte in the Kentucky Derby with the best odds to win. I'm seeing this at six, five to one. There's a couple six to one. So if you don't want to bet the fave, which I don't think I want to give the Florida Panthers and their external sources any positivity, there's a couple options at five to one or six to one as well. But he is the fave, Forte. Uh, I, I think that's, I mean, we're talking about like spirits, omens, juju. There's no chance the I'm laying a bet on Forte <laughs> okay. on a weekend where the Maple Leafs need a win. In Miami. Okay, well, that was Clifton Etobicoke says uh, Vinny Viola weekend the, double. The weekend double. I love Forte that. in the Kentucky Derby and Panthers money line on Sunday. Well, unfortunately, no. <laughs> no, not happening. I All mean, right. it probably hits. Let's well, go through our picks. Uh, I will quickly give mine. Max Fried is not give. I think he's given up one earned run. All year long, he's on the bump against the Baltimore Orioles, so it's something you can cheer for. You want to fade the Orioles. I think the Atlanta Braves win on the run line, win by more than two runs. They take care of business at home with the Baltimore, did I say Ravens? The Baltimore Orioles, I may not. Oh, football's coming. Baltimore Orioles in town. Atlanta, run line, Max Freed. That's my wake and Got it. Um, I'm going with a nerfy. The very last game of the night, basically. Um, sorry about that, but... Mm-hmm. At least you settle it earlier. Yes. Earlier on in yeah, the game. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Christian Javier and Louis Castillo on the mound in the Astros Mariners game. I'm going to go with a nerfy and no runs in the first inning of that game. All righty. Let's go through the anchors. Okay, so we got Duke and the Hammer saying Jay's road starting pitching is suspect and the pen is trash. Offense still solid. I bet the over until further notice. Yeah, the Jays are just oof, tough, tough, All tough. All right. Ian the snowplow plow driver, Bassett over. Five Ks has hit four to six games, hmm. or he likes the Bichette over 1.5 total bases. Okay. Uh, good morning. Not a great day yesterday. Brewers blow a four-run lead in the seventh, and Gosman gets lit up. Yeah, I know. Over strikeouts for Gosman was sketchy. Seemed too good to be true. Those odd makers know what they're doing. Today, my wake rate pick is Celtics minus two and a half. That's Corey from Port Hope. That one seems sketchy to me, too. I'm like leaning Celtics, but I'm also like a Celtic skeptic, so I don't know Celtic how to feel skeptic. about that one. Uh, Parlay Poppy uh, might have to retire the prosciutto, go on a diet. Speedo season is around the corner. Hmm. Devastated about the Brewers, uh, but the bounce back he sees is the Cubs' first five innings. Uh, Justin Steele on the bump for the Cubs, 4-0 with a 1.49 ERA against a Marlins team who's traveling. So Parlay Poppy's going with the Cubs in the first five innings. Also likes the Hurricanes a lot. Interesting. Could they go up 2 nothing? We'll see tonight. Uh, final one here. Good morning, guys. Easy win yesterday with Fleetwood. Today, three ball takes Sunjay M over Glover and Riley or M over Riley and two ball. Easy money. Jarrett from Halifax. Alrighty, yeah. I saw Fleetwood at the top of the leaderboard yesterday. I'm like, well, Jared from Halifax got his. Jared knows. Um, okay, so we've got uh, Nerfy uh, in the first inning, uh, Astros Mariners, and Atlanta Braves on the run line. You're just going to go three baseball pick today or what? Could uh, you get a little Jays in there? We could get the Jays in there. I mean, I, I almost think we should just abandon the Jays for a bit. I feel like that's where we've struggled. 
But the Bassett over 5Ks is is kind of the one sticking out to me. And I keep saying it. They need a bounce-back game. They just lost so many (laughs) I I know the Pittsburgh Pirates are playing well. I don't know them too well, though. I I haven't seen a Pittsburgh Pirates game, but I assume they have a lot of young guys who might be dealing with or might have trouble dealing with the 7, 8, 9-pitch arsenal, Mm. whatever Chris Bassett is throwing out there. So I don't mind the Bassett over It's also plus money. I'm seeing it plus 115, so we could juice up our parlay. You want to do that? I think we need something for the Jays, and I think, I mean, it, no, I mean, it, it killed us yesterday, but, yeah. I, okay, you're, you're call, you're ca- you're you call. are calling it. Bassett over Ks. Bassett over five and a half strikeouts. Atlanta Braves on the run line against the Orioles, and then under, well, zero runs. How about that? In the first inning of the, the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners. A steady, clean, plus 600. Easy, peasy 600. And the 444 didn't help us yesterday. No, it did fourth. Well, it is Cinco de Mayo, so at least it's not like if it was May 5th, we'd know there's something weird going on. You again. said it was plus 600? Plus 600. We didn't even get a 500 on May the 5th? Yeah, maybe but maybe that thing. was the problem yeah. yesterday. We were trying too much. Okay. Blue Jays are at 635 tonight with Bassett on the mound against the Pirates. We got a three game series. And then you got to wait till Sunday for Leafs and Panthers, 6 30 p.m. Yeah, long it's going to be a away. long weekend for Leaf fans trying to, uh, you know, hold their nerve. Couple days of practice. How did the Maple Leafs approach this? What's the discussion going to be like? A lot of opportunity for Paul Maurice to just puff out that chest and do what he does in front of the media. Leafs need a win in game three. We need to be talking about a Leafs win on this station on Monday. You've got um, Miami F1 this weekend, too. We haven't talked much F1 as of late, but it's in North America, so tune in. And uh, I think there's some UFC this weekend. Of course, the Kentucky Derby tomorrow. So just pick someone with a cool name. Another big sports weekend. That's what I do. Um, I like the name Angel of Empire, 6-1, and uh, Rocket Can, 33-1. to <laughs> You know what? Stranger things have happened. Rocket Can. Um, all right. Great week here on the Fan Morning Show. Um, just before we signed off for the weekend, I just wanted to take a moment just to let everybody know that I'll be off the show for a bit for some personal matters. Uh, Brent Gunning will have you covered, filling in with Justin for what I hope is a lot of Leaf games down the stretch. So all set there. Um, I just appreciate the understanding and some privacy at this time. Looking forward to being back when I can. And uh, thanks, everyone, for a great week. And we will chat soon.